and part of the worship here at HBF. If you're with us online, we're glad that you're joining us and glad that you chose to to view us this morning. We're praying for you as you're at home and uh, pray that as soon as you're able, God would allow you grace to be here. We now have a section. It's good that we have some folks that haven't been here in a while, so it's good to see you guys and uh, the Johnsons are here. And we kind of have a section in case you didn't know, if you are uh, sensitive to, to social distance and masking, we have to, may have to expand that section a little bit more. Um, uh, but uh, we, uh, we have an area here, so even if you're coming from um, you know, online and you want to know what we're doing, we have a segregated area for those that are needing to be, um, you know, that want to have social distancing and wear masks and all that. It's in our sanctuary here, so we'd love to have you come if you can and if you feel comfortable. If you don't, we understand we know there are some uh, like Wayne Arney and others that literally uh, are under doctor's orders not to be anywhere close to anybody, not just with COVID, but in, under any circumstance. So we are praying for you and we miss you. We can't wait to see you again. And you're in our heart, which is uh, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about heart issues. And uh, man, James, all that warm, fuzzy stuff, perfect wherever he went with the, you know, having a bromance with Brother Steve. And <laughs> so, man, all right. So you guys are tender. So uh, this morning we're going to be talking about addicted to the ministry versus addicted to misery. And that is not Missouri. I mean, that's misery. Addicted to ministry or addicted to misery. And so we've been talking about several aspects of the heart over the last several weeks, uh, on and on between all of the, the other things that we've been doing. And it was a great time last week to have uh, missionary Jeff Barker here with us. And well, that was a great message and a good message and a good word to us. I wanted to just send another kind of heartfelt message. Uh, uh, David and Kathy texted me this morning and, and wanted me to just especially say thank you to everybody that helped them pack and move and that they miss everybody that's here. All of you that are watching online that know the Cundus, they miss you. They are in Kentucky and they are settled in and will probably be sleeping for the next week and trying to recover. But uh, uh, they got there and they're really uh, so, so, so thankful to their HBF church family and all those that helped. I know the past point uh, really pitched in and the Cundus move was a great way really to introduce this this message this morning because we're going to be in the book of First Corinthians. If you have your Bible, we turn to First Corinthians chapter 16. And uh, in that chapter, Paul speaks about a, a house, a house of Stephanus, how they're addicted to the ministry. And boy, I know this church, you guys, this is going to be an encouraging message for, for most of you here because this church is addicted to the ministry. You've shown that over the last weeks and years and in the last just few days, even last night. And man, how awesome was that? Uh, the Passpoint ministry was over at... Uh, um, Pearl Street handed out over 1,500 John and Romans, and, and uh, yeah, isn't that awesome with candy and all that? Praise God, isn't that awesome? Praise God. And Jason told me that they had, if we had 2,000, that would have not been probably too much, and so next year we'll have to go bigger, and uh, so we praise God for that, and uh, that's, you know, when you think about it, that's, you know, 2,000 people rolling up and down Pearl Street, that's, uh, that's 20% of the population of Harrisonville. So, uh, man, I, I, think, uh, I think the Newlands have a big front yard. That's all I got to tell them. So that's awesome. But on top of moving the Cundiffs and then the Harvest Party and all that, you guys, you're addicted to the ministry. I, there's a, I can tell you that right now. But not everybody has that same addiction, do they? We live in a culture where, you know, there's a lot of people that are addicted. And I know in this room I could have several stand up and give testimony. We've seen God do miraculous things. Uh, through his power and his his word through his church uh, in the lives of people that there is no explanation we have a we have a ministry called life issues and and we are intentional about reaching out to those that are struggling with addiction but we make no pretense 
that the solution to addiction is Jesus Christ, right? It's, it's not, it's, amen, it's not all the steps. I mean, steps are good, that's good structure. But at the end of the day, the power is Jesus, and, and, the, and the power to overcome addiction is his. And so when we think about addiction in our culture today, man, we're just, it's got all kinds of connotations. Uh, they're all attached to, to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, aren't they? And uh, we can all, there's not a person in this room that doesn't, if you're honest with yourself, does not know that you have an addiction problem to sin, right? We can boil it all down to that. And that's why if you, if you are saved this morning, your, your hope and your assurance is in, is in that, that, man, Jesus Christ has saved me from my sin. And if you want to throw on sin addiction, yeah, you were devoted. I'm, I was devoted to sin. As a matter of fact, before you're saved, you are bound to sin. You are a slave to sin. You are not going to do anything other than uh, sin, right? You might try to do good works and do good things, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but at the end of the day, whatsoever, uh, whatever is not a Christ, it's sin. I mean, that's at the end of the day, all unrighteousness, the Bible says, is sin, and Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. So once we start, stop measuring ourselves against ourselves and comparing ourselves with ourselves, and we measure ourselves against the, the, the stature and the fullness of Christ, then all of a sudden we all come short of God's glory, and we realize that, man, and it's about that time when we realize that we're sinners, that God comes in, isn't it, with that grace? Oh, amazing grace. And he shares the love of Christ, and, shows, and that while we were yet sinners, when we were in the deepest ditch ever, he died for our sins so that we could be born again, so he could raise us from the dead. Not just figuratively, not just spiritually, though that happens instantly the moment we receive Christ, but also literally, we will be changed. We're going to be resurrected and changed. That's an incredible good news message. And Jesus is going to come for us, and we're going to return with him. And, and these are the things that we, we preach and that we believe. And, and that kind of good news gets your, it wraps your heart around uh, our Savior and our Lord, and it, and it makes you want to serve Him with vigor and dedication. And, and man, that's 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 who the house of Stephanus was. And but when we think about addiction, we kind of think about those that are just under the bondage of sin. And we can all identify with that. Merriam-Webster's uh, definition. This is a contemporary definition of 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 uh, addiction. Is this a compulsive, chronic, psychological? or physiological need for a habit-forming substance, behavior, or activity, having harmful physical, psychological, or social effects, and typically causing well-defined symptoms, such as anxiety, irritability, tremors, or nausea, upon withdrawal or abstinence, uh, and then the state of being addicted uh, to alcohol addiction or an addiction of prescription painkillers, drugs, drug addiction, gambling addiction, and we could go on and on and on and on with all the addictions that could be listed, that they stop there. They also say a strong inclination to do, use, or indulge in something repeatedly. Okay, well, that's pretty much when we think of addiction in our contemporary culture, that's kind of what we think of. When I say the word addiction when in our culture today, that's what we think of, is that kind of addiction. But it's interesting because if you just roll back the tape a couple hundred years to 1820, uh, or 1828, this is what Noah Webster said about addiction in his, in his dictionary. The act of devoting or giving up practice, uh, or giving up in practice, the state of being devoted. His definition of addiction is just, well, being completely devoted, giving over to, giving over to something. As a matter of fact, the, the ancient, uh, the word that comes, addiction, comes from, a, from the Romans, 
definition, a little Latin, and it's, it's, it basically implies when someone was given over uh, to be a slave or was given over in bondage or given over uh, into something uh, to pay off a debt or uh, was sold into some, some sort of uh, financial bondage. Or, and, and then, of course, they were completely then addicted to that person or devoted. And we don't use that definition at all. But the concept is you're completely given over to, the, to something that's controlling you, which is very congruent with what we think of today. But it's interesting how when Noah Webster defined it, there was an essence of, of the word devotion makes us think about something positive, And we think about addiction now, and it's negative. And so could it be today that that we could be that contrast, that we could be those that stick out like a sore thumb? Remember last week, I concluded the message. uh, Just a word came to my mind out of Proverbs about apples of gold and pictures of silver. And I I talked to you about how that is a, you know, in a a really simple metaphor, that's like a highlighter, right? And I, I said that that message that Jeff preached was like, it was like an apple of gold and a picture of silver. It's like God took a highlighter and just, and just illuminated that. But also, if you look at the, at the elements in that passage in Proverbs, it talks about silver, right? And we know that silver is redemption. And we know that gold is, is deity, right? And so, could it be that, that if we would addict ourselves to the ministry, that we would just stick out uh, in the culture, that w- in a culture that needs redemption, we would stick out as the deity of Christ, as the light of God, as the glory of God shines through our lives because we're wholly devoted to Christ. Right? That's what disciples are. Right? Disciples are learners, they're followers. But at length, what was Jesus doing with his disciples? He was taking them in a in a, he was taking them somewhere and he was taking them to a place, and by the way, emulating that in himself, of complete devotion. As he was devoted to the Father, then he says, Follow me. And then as he ascended, he left them and us here to follow him in complete and utter devotion so that we stand out like an apple of gold and a picture of silver, that the, the deity, the, the glory of God would shine in our lives as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ as we follow him. Does that inspire you at all? It does me. I, I was meditating on these things. I'm like, man, I want to be addicted to the ministry. I hope I am addicted to the ministry. Depends on who you talk to, but... Uh, please turn your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 16. I think I've asked you to do that. We're going to be on page 1,539. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab that one from the seat rack and turn to 1,539. And the only time we find the word addicted in the Scripture is going to be in this passage that we're going to see here in just a moment. And it speaks uh, to the household of people who are completely devoted and set on ministering to the needs of other Christians. Paul says they are addicted to the ministry. Like many of the saints here at HBF, you are devoted to the service of Christ, his people, and the needs of the body. And you stand out like God's glory in a picture of redemption. So if you would stand with me, I'm sorry to mess up your lap. I gave you all these extra papers, and now you've got to do something with them. But let's do this in honor of God's word. It won't take us long. As you're standing, Paul is concluding his epistle to the carnal Corinthians, who have been dedicated to serving themselves and not one another. This epistle opens in the first chapter, and Paul is addressing their division over preferring one leader and teacher above another, and they were arguing over who baptized who, and Paul says, man, I am so glad I didn't baptize anybody, but I think the house of Stephanus is anyone I can remember, so I'm glad that you guys uh, have that going on. We need to get this straightened out, and he goes through the rest of the epistle. And then as he chooses to conclude this epistle in chapter 16, he, he encourages them to give, uh, and as he's doing that, he gives an example for them. And he says, I need you to be like, well, the house of Stephanus and Fortunatus and 
Achaeus, no, not Achaeus, Achaeus, that's his name, Achaeus, I get tripped up on that. And so let's look at the text, chapter 16 and verse 12, this is what Paul says, as touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have a convenient time. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Let your let your thing let all I'm sorry, let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that he is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. I thank you for just this passage that you have left in our New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, to help us be encouraged in a time when the word addiction is completely given over now to sin and the impact of sin. Lord, may we be like those that would be a contrast a contrast of people who are so given over to Christ, followers of Christ, lovers of God and lovers of one another and lovers of people who need to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be so given over to that, so addicted to the ministry, Lord, that we would contrast this, this word addiction in our current culture, that people would see a solution in the midst of problems, that they would see life in the midst of death, that they would see hope in the midst of despair. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great word that you've given us. We thank you for this time to gather together and assemble. We thank you for the praise that's already been offered. We thank you for the fellowship that's already been had and the preaching that's already gone forth and the teaching of God's word that's gone forth and all the initiatives that have happened and are happening even now. We pause for a moment and ask you to speak to our hearts as only you can. For your honor, for your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, you, you say, man, I'm addicted to the, to the ministry. Or would you say, well, Brian, I'm really not. I'm addicted to misery. Really, that's kind of how it works. Uh, we, we try to fill our lives. And those of us that are uh, honest with ourselves know we try to fill our lives with something. You either choose Jesus or you choose something that's not Jesus. And, and oftentimes when we choose something that's not Jesus, it's, it, it may deceive us for a season and it may feel good and sin is, you know, it, has a, it has a pleasure. It's, it's good for a season, but then eventually, after a while, you start to feel the effects and all of a sudden there's misery. And you're just not happy and you're just not fulfilled because nothing really does satisfy but Jesus. He's the only one that satisfies our soul. He is the real thing. In a crowd like this, you're going to have some who are in both camps. Um, you know, you're going to have many here who I know already, just as I was preparing this, I'm thinking, man, there are so many people in our church that are addicted to the ministry in the most positive sense of the word. And there are others who are not. There are others who um, have found other ways to find comfort and are addicted to other things, even though they may even be saved. And they have come to the place that they're no longer, uh, or they maybe have never really fully given themselves over to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Others are so locked in destructive uh, devotion to sin that it will take God's grace and his power to literally free them from the bondage of addiction to sin. And they need to be born again. They need to be saved. They need to have freedom that can only come through Christ, not by working their way out of a mess, by literally giving themselves over to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we're going to see three aspects of being addicted to the ministry. Uh, and they're going to start by looking at the attributes of those addicted to the ministry of the saints. That's what we're going to see this morning. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to see the actions of those addicted to the ministry of the saints. And then the advantage of those addicted to the ministry of the saints. So as you look at the the outline this morning, the first thing I want to point to is the attributes of those addicted to the ministry of the saints. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, Paul says there, after he talks about uh, Apollos, and Apollos can't make it, guys. I'm not the Pope. I'm not going to tell him what to do. But, hey, he said he can't make it. He'll come when he has opportunity. Uh, I'm, I'm not there. So here, this is what I need you to do. While we're gone, uh, while uh, Apollos is gone, while I'm gone, you know, um, this is what I need you to do. He says, watch you, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Yeah, that's what he tells them. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, and quit you like men, and be strong. These are attributes. These are attributes of, of someone who's addicted to the ministry. These are people completely given over to following Christ. He says, this is what I need out of the church of Corinth. When I started this epistle, you guys were divided. You weren't unified. You guys were focused on men and not focused on the Lord. You didn't understand how to cooperate with one another. You didn't understand how to love one another. So he spent all of this time dealing with all kinds of issues through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now he gets to the end and he says, listen, in our absence, I need you to, to, I need you to, I need you to watch. I need you to watch. They watch vigilantly to stop <clears throat> the work of the adversary. That's what someone that is addicted to ministry does because a, a ministry ad- addicts are good shepherds. The first thing that he points out really is that ministry addicts are good shepherds. They're good shepherds. Watch ye. You know, it's important that if we're going to watch that we, that we be vigilant. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I think most of us know that verse. But you know, that verse is found in the context of, of Peter writing to shepherds. And, of course, that would apply to this shepherd, a pastor, an under-shepherd of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And, and so we should be watchful. We should be vigilant. We should be keeping an eye on the flock, making sure that wolves don't creep in and, and destroy the flock, that there's not aberrant doctrine that's floating in, winds of doctrine that are going to lead the flock astray, so on and so forth. But that doesn't just apply to the pastor. If you are a parent, right, that could apply to you as well. If you're a friend of somebody... That could apply. Uh, that you are being vigilant. You're watching. You're, you're you're being steadfast in your vigilance, like a good shepherd would be. The the watch is someone who is vigilant, vigilantly looking, and and they want to take responsibility for the care of God's people. Those that are vigilant understand there's a responsibility. It's not just because God said so, though. That's enough reason in itself. But what happens if we don't watch? Did I just hear Clint Eastwood? <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe I'm having an illusion. This has been a crazy day. Just getting here to preach has been outstandingly, or it's been crazy. I tell you what, so who knows what's going to happen next. But so, so when you think about being vigilant, uh, you, think about, you think about there's a, actually a responsibility to being vigilant. It's not just the fact that God says, be vigilant. Okay. Well, what happens if you're not vigilant? Right? There's a consequence. People who watch are people who understand that if I don't watch, there's going to be a negative consequence. Right? So watching isn't just something that, that we preach through and say, oh, no big deal. Yeah, God says watch. 
Now, the, the reason it's a big deal is because it's a big deal. If you don't watch, something could happen. You're not to be paranoid, but you do need to know that there's really an adversary. Satan hates us. He hates me. He hates you. Lost or saved, he hates your guts. He doesn't want to see you get saved, and once you get saved, he doesn't want to see you grow. He doesn't want to see God glorified in any way, especially through Adam's fallen race. That just makes him mad. But you know what? That's exactly what our job is to do, is continue to work on seeing God's kingdom advance, the kingdom of God grow and advance, and we are actively working against an agent that wants to stop God's will. And, of course, he's not going to do it. So we're on the winning team. That should be exciting. But just because we're on the winning team doesn't mean we lay our arms down. Right? We've got to be vigilant. In Ezekiel 33, the Bible says, But if the watchmen see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come, and he take a person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. The watchman is a man who is to warn. Right? So we should be those that are warning. Watch ye! Give a warning. Let people know it's not okay. We live in a world today that anything you say can and will be offensive, right? It it, it doesn't matter what you say, but listen, there's a point in which we have to be be men. We have to be mature, and we have to speak the truth in love, right, with grace. But you cannot walk away from what the Word of God says, because if you do, you're not watching for the flock. You're not watching for your family. It doesn't really matter what the world is doing. It doesn't matter what's popular. What matters is what God says is true and how we respond to it. And just like your mama said, I'm not worried about everybody else. I'm worried about you. Right? So at HBF, I'm not worried about every other church. I'm worried about Heartland because this is the church I've been charged to watch. And so we need to be watchful. A good shepherd is watchful. They watch vigilantly because they understand Jesus' return is imminent. So we, we watch vigilantly, vigilantly, I don't even know if I can say that now, <clears throat> because we, we want to make sure that we stop the work of the adversary. We watch vigilantly, vigilantly because we want to take, uh, we understand there's a responsibility to care for God's people. And we watch vigilantly, man, I'm having troubles this morning, because they understand Jesus' return is imminent. Jesus spoke of his coming to the Jews near the end of the tribulation as imminent. There'll come a time in the coming tribulation as Jesus is speaking in Matthew 24 of the beginning of sorrows and the great tribulation and how he will come and catch away uh, those tribulation saints. He says this in uh, Matthew 24 in verse 42. He says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour the Lord uh, doth come, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had had known in what watch the thief would come, He would have watched and would have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is faithful and a wise servant, whom uh, his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Interesting. God, in this case, is dealing with his servants and talking about them being ready for the Lord at His coming. Again, that's clearly a tribulation context, but that's also something that the church should be ready for, is the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only should we be watching uh, for the flock and being vigilant uh, for the, the folks that God has entrusted us with, the souls that He's entrusted us with, but we should also be watching and waiting 
working in a way that we're, we're cognizant of the fact that at any moment the Lord could come and catch us away. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50, the Bible says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Right? These bodies aren't going to make it. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We are immortal. The day you got saved, eternity began. Your body doesn't, re- doesn't uh, reveal that yet. But someday, whether you physically die or you live until the catching away of the church, the imminent return of Christ, you will be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. That's what Paul said. Paul is not saying they, he's saying we. Paul was waiting for that to happen at that moment. Paul was expecting the catching away of the church to happen. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 15, he said, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep and he goes on to talk about that catching away with the saints in the clouds in titus chapter 2 and verse 12 paul again teaching says um, that he's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust these are the things that the pastor should be teaching we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world what are we doing well we're being vigilant then he goes on to say looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of of the great god and our savior jesus christ and of course as jesus ascended he promised that he would descend uh, in the clouds. And, of course, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 talks about that catching away that will occur when we meet him in the clouds. So Paul was expecting the catching away of the church to happen at any moment. He lived as if the Lord would return at any second and catch away his bride. Nonetheless, Paul was clear that we are not in darkness as those who would be living in this coming tribulation that I spoke of. Therefore, we should watch and be sober as we understand the times and the seasons. We watch... We watch and are sober. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them, not us, them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief, Ye are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. Paul is saying, listen, we know that there's going to be a lot of people, you know, not very far away in the near future, that are going to be caught off guard. They're going to be caught off guard about all the things that transpire in this world, but we're not. We know what time it is. We should watch and we should be sober, knowing that the Lord uh, could come any day and catch us away. Those who are addicted to the ministry won't be found purloining, right? They they won't be found messing around, taking it easy before the Lord comes, before the catching away of the church. They're going to be diligent. They're going to be ready when the door opens. Why? Because they can actually hear who's knocking. They They have their senses alert to what's going on in God's kingdom. They understand what Jesus Christ is up to. They understand that he has some things that he's written in Romans 9 through 11 that are yet to be fulfilled. There's some things that God has given us inside of his word. He is the door of the sheepfold. And when we listen to his voice, he leads us and he guides us. And so if we're good shepherds and we're watching, we pay attention to both what the shepherd says and how it affects those around us. And we are busy about his business till he comes. 
There's a lot of Christians who are so drunk on themselves, so drunk on sin, so drunk on the world, the flesh, and the devil. They can't find the door, according to Revelations 3, 17 through 21. They don't know where they're at. You know, see, that everyone's got these door cams, right? You know, you see it all the time. People, drunk people, the people's front door, they aren't at the wrong house. Sorry, this isn't the right place. Oh, so is carnal Christianity. That's what was going on in Corinth. People were, man, they were knocking on the wrong door. And Paul shows up and he says, guys, you don't even understand where Jesus is at, man. You need to get on board with him. You need to sober up. You need to watch. You need to be vigilant. You need to do what the word of God says because it's in your best interest. Because you're missing the door of opportunity that God is giving you. Every day of our life is a new breath. Every heartbeat is a new grace of God that God gives us to invest in his kingdom. But so many times we invest in things that don't really matter. And we miss the doors of utterance, the doors of opportunity, the opportunity to share the gospel. But man, those that are addicted to the ministry don't. And Mitch and Jody didn't miss it last night. Praise God. They got on 2,000 plus people giving them the gospel. What were we doing? I'm not trying to cause emulation. I'm just saying, man, I commend you guys in the Passpoint class for doing that. Praise God. We should all be about that business. Somewhere, some way, somehow. Not everybody has to rush Pearl Street. I'm just saying. That's, that's the kind of business that we need to be about before the Lord comes because we don't know what's going to happen to those souls. We know if they don't get saved, many of them will be beguiled and enter into a time of darkness that, that is terrible. Those who are addicted to the ministry are sober and vigilant. They hear the word of the Lord. They know and are ready when Revelation 4.1 comes and the Lord says, come up hither, man. They're going to be ready to go. And they'll leave this earth without blood on their hands. Those addicted to the ministry watch diligently over the flock that God has entrusted to them. We notice that Paul said, the house of Stephanus. You know, Stephanus' entire house, it wasn't just Stephanus. He says, I need you to pay attention to the house of the whole family is given over to, uh, to the ministry. They're addicted to the ministry. If you want to have a family that's intact, increasingly as the days go on, you better get addicted to the ministry. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but there's a whole lot of emphasis right now on dividing up the family. It's, it's, it's not just something that's a, it's a, it's a problem. It's social, it's political, frankly, it's spiritual. Because we know how Malachi ends, right? We know what he says. God's going to have to come back at the second coming and restore again the hearts of the fathers and the sons because they're in direct, they are in, they are in the direct target of what Satan is up to in these last days. He's trying to destroy the family. If you're not sober and you're not vigilant, you won't even understand what's going on. You're going to get caught up in superfluous things that are emotional things and it'll drive you somewhere else, but you'll forget. You'll for, you'll for, you will forget who's knocking. You'll for, you, you, we will forget who the shepherd is. And the next thing you know, we won't be preaching the gospel. We'll be preaching something else that has nothing to do with getting people saved and discipled. So ministry addicts are also good soldiers. They're not just good shepherds, they're good soldiers. He says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Ministry addicts stand firm in the faith. The attributes that Paul lists here are the attributes of a good soldier. A good soldier can be trusted to stand and watch his unit. A good soldier is, is solid and can be depended upon. When it comes to ministry, 
We need fellow soldiers who are not going to be uh, absent without leave or defect uh, at the first sign of trouble. We need people that will stand in the faith. You know how demoralizing it is when the troops run? Oh, it, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. But you know what? We've got to go forward. A good soldier is strong. You know, a good soldier is prepared as well. I like the word quit. We don't use that. But what that means is he's, he's set on something. He's diligent. He's, well, he's prepared. Like a you know, Boy Scout, that's the motto, be prepared. Good soldiers are always prepared. Now, you may not know what's going to happen with your circumstances. Your circumstances can be, can be completely out of control. But you're prepared. That's what Paul told Timothy, right? Be instant in season, out of season. Right? doesn't matter what the circumstances are, but you should be ready. You should be ready to go at any moment. Why? Because you're prepared. doesn't mean you control your circumstances. You can't control. I couldn't control anything this morning. My, nothing was working right. But you know what? I'm still here preaching. With computer technology, without computer technology, I'm going to preach. So praise God for that. But a good soldier, he's got to be strong. And, be, and beloved, that's the mark of maturation. You've got to be mature. He's not weak in faith. He's strong in faith. Strong in the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's not going to melt the first time Satan throws a fiery dart at him. He's going to stand. Stand in the battle. Paul encouraged mature disciples to behave as soldiers. And one of the things that he said is endure hardness. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 3, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I see a lot of soldiers in the ministry. The way you handled the harvest party, man. I'm sitting out there in 30 whatever degree weather, and you guys are all out there. I'm like, man, this, is, this reminds me of a, of a real battle we're fighting out here. It's outstanding. Bobby Blaine, you're out there for four hours. Your feet are frozen into cubes. Man, I'm like, yes, ma'am, go. She's, I mean, the whole body comes together, and they get, and you know, and then God brought people. I, I literally pulled up in the lot, going, "There's not going to be 15 people today." And there, there was, there was over 20 families we had never met. There was probably hundreds of people came through. I don't know, but there's a lot. It was amazing. I was like, "Wow, praise God!" I'm glad we went forward in faith. That's a group of people who are strong in faith. Strong in the faith. The way you've handled the hardships of COVID-19. This church, I can't say enough about you. You guys have handled it so well. Uh, the VBS on top of that. The Bible conference. Then the frigid harvest party. Then the, then the Cundus movement. And then, and then there's always something, isn't there? You know, you act like you're in a real battle. You act like there's really consequences if we don't go forward. And guys, you had this last month as pastor appreciation. I, I feel so uh, unworthy to receive any kind of thanks or, or pre appreciation. I do appreciate everybody appreciating me, but at the end of the day, we appreciate the Lord. But I do want to tell you, I appreciate you. Because from where I'm sitting, I'm looking around, I'm like, I see an army of people that are, man, you, you guys are a bunch of addicts. Hey, amen. And I don't mean addicts like life issues, outreach addicts. Some of you were that, but that's not who you are anymore. God has changed your identity. You're no longer addicted to sin. You are addicted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the evidence of that is your zeal and your zest to serve him. 
man, praise God for that. Now, I'm not just saying that you have to serve him through events. Those are just really obvious, tangible outreach things. There's all kinds of ways to serve. We got people in the booth every week serving behind the scenes. There's all kinds of service that goes on. So it's great. It's actually better to be the, 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 the light bulb on the back porch, right, than the chandelier in the entry. So praise God. But the, my, my point is simply this. I think you all know what it is like to endure hardness. I've seen you do it. And you know what, beloved? I think we're going to have to do more of it. And while we do it, we need to do it with joy. We need to do it with grace. We need to almost look forward to it. Like, yes, I get to, I get to serve my Lord. I get an opportunity to go forward in the face of difficult circumstances even. I get an opportunity to look like, a, a picture, uh, look like an apple of gold in a picture of silver. We get a chance to show off the glory of God. This coming week, we got a trip, an undermanned, understaffed trip of people heading up to Mammoth. They're going by faith. We don't have enough people, but we're doing it anyway. We're going to trust the Lord for the results. You know what that is? That's, that's people quitting themselves like men. They're being strong, and they're going forward like a soldier. There's some among us who are young in the Lord who, who don't fully grasp that, and that's fine, as a matter of fact. You don't take children to the front of the battle, do you? You know, in the, in the dark ages, they did that. They sent children out to fight wars, and they got slaughtered before they even left the shore, taken into slavery. That's irresponsible. That's why we make disciples. That's why being a man is so important. You notice he said the house of Stephanus. He wasn't just talking about, uh, you know, guys that showed up at, for the men's breakfast. He's talking about men going back home and working on their own families and making sure they're watching with their own families. They're faithful at home. They're raising their children in the way they should go. Why? Because the family's so important. Men should be in the front of the battle. And you know, you know if you go to any church in America, most of the time, really even around the world, the women are the ones in the front of the battle because they got a heart for God. Oftentimes men, I don't know what they're doing. So I like it if we're a men's man church. It's good. It's good not just for the men, it's good for the for everybody. But there are some of us who just maybe maybe that's not your issue. You don't fully grasp the spiritual warfare you're in and you've given up. You've given over like that traitor in the movie The Matrix who's he traded in the eternal reward, so to speak. A, for a faithful service for the temporary illusion of satisfying the lust of the flesh. You just get up, give up and you quit. At some point you just say, you know what, I'm tired of this. The battle, just, it just is not long, this is no longer sexy because what drew you in was some experience. What drew you in was some sort of music. What drew you in was some sort of some felt need. Something that was trying to meet your, your sensory deprivation that you needed to have some felt need met. Hey man, God will use some of that to get the gospel to you. But at length, if you're going to grow up, if you're going to be somebody that God can use to build the body, you're going to have to be somebody that comes to Christ and is totally devoted to Him no matter what because you believe that God is good and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You've got to believe for something beyond tomorrow. You've got to believe for something beyond today so when something doesn't go your way today, you just give up and quit. You go home. Forget that culture. I don't care if it's popular or not. That's not going to advance the ball for Jesus. You've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to get back up, even when you lose yards, and you've got to hit it again. And you've got to hit it again so that you can push the ball forward. That makes, that makes me want to laugh. There's that Joe Biden thing where he's just... Anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> that, is not to be, that is not connected. Okay, so a good soldier understands a good unit discipline. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. 
Paul says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. What kind of lifestyle do we lead? Does it make the gospel of Christ look good? That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Wouldn't it be awesome? Paul hears of our affairs. Hey, what are those angels rejoicing about? Oh, another person got saved over there on Pearl Street. Oh, those angels are partying again in heaven. What are they excited about? Oh, another person got saved at Life Issues. Those people, they're getting excited. What happened? Oh, another person, another child got saved on the Mama's mission trip. Another child got saved at VBS. And all of a sudden, your name's ringing out. Something's going on in Cass County. Something's going on among the saints. There's some people dedicated to the Lord, and they can't help but tell about Jesus because he's so good. He's so awesome. It just overflows. It becomes something that we just, it just, it has to happen. Our conversation becomes the gospel of Christ, not just our words, but our life. And if the Lord tarries, may they be hearing in heaven as the, as the angels rejoice over all the souls that get saved and all the saints that get discipled and all the, the ministry that gets accomplished, regardless of what the circumstances. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, nothing terrifies these people. They're not, addicts are not, you know, an addict, a drug addict, they're out of their cotton-picking mind. They'll charge the police with guns and knives. They'll, They'll do crazy stuff all day long. Well, that's what, you know what? A God addict's the same way. Here a couple years ago, this young man, he counted all the costs, went to this island, and was martyred, trying to get the gospel down there near Sri Lanka over in the Indian Ocean. And everybody was on the news trying to explain it. You just can't explain crazy. But he wasn't like crazy. He actually knew that, you know what, this may cost me my life, but the Bible says, go you to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, well, here I go. And you can think what you want about what he did. The fact of the matter is he did it. And I'm like, you know what, praise the Lord. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If he did that in faith, I think the Lord will reward it. It may not have been the smartest thing to do. It might not have been the best way to go about it. I don't know. But it's better than what I was doing to reach that island. That guy was convinced. Fully persuaded. He wasn't afraid of anything. He wasn't terrified by anything. Other than not obeying the voice of the Lord. And the world says, man, you guys are crazy. We say, no, we're saved. It's an evident token of salvation (laughs) and that of God. Yea, though you slay me, man, it doesn't matter. That's what they thought of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys are crazy. No, we just believe in Jehovah. A good soldier is courageous. Nothing terrified by your adversaries. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men. Be strong. You know, a week ago last Thursday, Pastor Mark Trotter found his bladder cancer had come back and it was more aggressive than they would have liked. And so he put a post out on Facebook. I'm not going to read it all, but this is what he said, uh, a portion of it. He says, some have asked how they can pray specifically. Please, please pray that I'll approach this with the same attitude as Paul in Acts 20 and verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God.
And then he just kept on going. You know, this week, Pastor Jim Boyette goes in for surgery to remove cancer in his abdomen. We obviously should be praying for Jim. But man, Jim, wherever he's at, he's a soldier. He really is. Hey, Jim, we love you, brother. Thank you for being an example of believers. And then Randy Foster, I don't know where he's at, but he's back there. Again, Randy, you and Julie, you guys, man, you've just endured hardness. God gives us real examples and samples, not just examples, but in samples. These are people who invest in our lives, people that we get to watch up close and personal. And I'm not making light of everyone else. You know, we have the Arnies, we've had the Steels, we've had all, we have all kinds of examples in regard to fighting something very terrifying, and that's cancer. And this church, and to every one of you, man, you've all just stood in there, not terrified, facing the reality of death. The reality is, though, you know what? We could drive out of the parking lot today. We don't know when we're going to take our last breath. Death no longer has a hold on us. We're free. We're not terrified anymore. And it's evident in the way we handle things that are very difficult. We watch Randy Foster face a very aggressive enemy in cancer with grace and power. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. God leaves that one out there hanging. And, and it's, it's, we just, we just got to deal with that one. We all got to face our last breath alone. And we got to walk through the door of death. Why? Because it just is one of those things that seems so ominous to Adam's race. But it's one of those things that just that this is such a contrast when we come and face death with life and light and grace and the power of God, knowing that we really are not going to taste the sting of death. Do you know that the day that you got saved, the day that I got up off the floor at Fort Osage Votech and I got saved, death had no more sting. Yeah, I may physically die or I may get caught up in the rapture. I don't know which, but whichever case, the biggest enemy has been defeated. Jesus took care of sin and death on the cross. It's, it's incredible. But eventually, he's going to take death and hell and everyone that's associated with it, and he's going to cast it into the lake of fire, and it'll be done forever and ever. So what's so inspiring about soldiers is the bravery in the face of battle. They stand in the face of overwhelming fear and are found faithful. The exploits of David's mighty men are recorded in 2 Samuel 23, 8-38. And it's so inspiring when you think of that heroic faith. And it behooves every saint to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so we too can stand in the evil day. Because you know what Ephesians 6 tells us. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the, uh, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, what are we to do? Stand. Quit yourselves like men. Be strong. Stand. Having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And lastly, you know what? Ministry addicts are good sacrifices. Not only, they're not only good shepherds and they're not only good soldiers, but they're good sacrifices. You know, in Romans, it talks about that. We're like sheep counting for the slaughter, aren't we? All day long. Romans 8. 
1 Corinthians 16, 13, Watch ye, stand fast, quit you like men, be strong. The highest honor of a soldier is to give his life for others. In John 15, the Bible says, This is my commandment, verse 12, That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. Man, that's really what it's about, isn't it? Giving our lives for others. Jesus went well beyond dying for his friends. You know, he died for his enemies. Isn't that crazy? He laid his life down for his enemies. And Romans 5, 8 tells us, but, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ gave his life for us regardless to reveal the love of the Father for the world. Oh, what a tragic thing it is when people reject the love of God. Second Thessalonians talks about a time when people are gonna, their hearts are going to grow hard and they're going to be beguiled and deceived and go into darkness because they receive not the love of the truth. Man, I tell you, God loves you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. He loves his enemies. That doesn't take anything away from his anger, his wrath, his judgment, his justice. The verse that says he's angry with the wicked, I talked about that a few weeks ago. We, all, we, we understand that. God is just. And as much as he is just and righteous and holy... He's also loving and is seeking reconciliation. And you and I are those ministers of reconciliation. We're the people that he wants to use to fulfill his will, to show this world that he loves them, his enemies that he loves them, before he passes, or before he, before he passes, before this time passes and he returns. So we need to be addicted ministers, like the house of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. I always trip on that who gave their lives for the saints. In 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says, Hereby perceive ye the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. He said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. But this shall all, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Getting back to our text, you know, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, that's exactly what was, was, what was not happening. They did not love one another. They didn't love each other around the Lord's Supper. They didn't love each other when it came to the, uh, the prophecy and the gifts that, the, that he was dealing with there. They didn't love one another in, in regard to taking one another to court. They wouldn't forgive one another if their life depended on it. They just didn't have a love. You know, when you think about a soldier, you, think, you don't think about love. You think of these tenacious people. But it's interesting that really soldiers are the most loving people you're ever going to meet. They get in a unit. They understand unit discipline. They get together and they face hardships. They suffer sacrifice together. And the next thing you know, there's a Philadelphian love, a brotherly love that forms. It is so deep that it lasts with them their entire life. And they can just catch right back up when they see each other. Beloved, that's just a picture of the type of love that should be going on in the body of Christ. Man, there isn't anybody you ought to love more than your brother in the church and your sister. Oh, yeah, I know they may, hey, your sister or your brother may annoy you. Doesn't your physical sister or brother annoy you sometimes? Sure they do. But you better love them. And you better love them good. Because that's the key to good unit discipline. That's the key to laying our lives down for one another. During the Revolutionary War, the British caught an American spy named Nathan Hale. Many of you know that story. History re records that 
he was given an uh, opportunity to give his last words, and he gave quite an eloquent uh, speech about uh, many things. They didn't record all of it, but one of the things that they selected out of it, he is said to have said, is, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Man, what an incredible, inspiring thing to say. I wish I had more lives. It's sort of like what Paul said. If I could lay down, my, if I could give up my salvation for my brother in Israel's sake, I would give up my salvation. That's how much he loved Israel. And they hated Jesus. Who's, who would you give up your salvation for right now if you knew that they would get saved because of it? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, I don't know if I'd do that for anybody. Honestly. Now, of course, we're secure. But that's the kind of love that we're talking about. That's a sacrificial love. Man, if a man can give his life for his country, easily go to the gallows, easily get... He hung out there for several days as an example of, you know, you don't spy on the British Empire. Man, if, if, if people can die for Adolf Hitler, Muammar Gaddafi, all these idiots around the world, then why can't we lay our knowledge down for Christ? who loves us and gave himself for us. Addicted ministers, you know what they also do? They man up. Quit ye like men. Be strong, Paul says. Quit ye like men. Robbing from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 9. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. Speaking of Philistines facing off with Israel, they're terrified because of the ark of God. They don't think they could actually win against God, and they shouldn't have. But because Israel was disobedient and backsliding and needed to be judged, God went ahead and let them get spanked. And the Philistines got whipped up and said, quit yourselves like men, be strong. And they went out and won the battle against all odds. Quit yourselves like men and fight. One of the worst defeats in the time of judges that you'll ever see for the nation of Israel. And God allowed their enemies to defeat them. I tell you, if you don't, hey, let me tell you something. If the election doesn't go the whatever way you want it to go, and I don't, I don't care which way, but it's not your way, let me just tell you something. This country gets the leadership it deserves. But what we need to do is preach the gospel and live a life that, that shows who is really king of kings and lord of lords, period. Period. And love our enemies because Jesus Christ loved us first. Paul writing to the carnal Christians told him to man up. Man up. As we would say today. A couple hundred years ago, there was a guy named Hugh Latimer. He was fixing to get martyred on a stake, get burned up on a stake over at Oxford in England. And uh, it was about 1555. I believe it was in, I think it was October 15th of 1555. So he and, and uh, this gentleman named... Uh, Stephen Nicholas Ridley. Um, these are Protestant guys. They used to kill Baptists like us, but uh, good testimony. Really, it's in Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can, you, you know, God kind of turned the tables on them, and all of a sudden, um, the Roman Catholic Church didn't appreciate uh, their gospel, and so they were going to be burned at the stake. And uh, as they were preparing to, to die, uh, Ridley was a little bit anxious and nervous, which is understandable. And Hugh Latimer said, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley. And play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. I'm like, wow. 
They both made their way to the stake and were burned to death for Christ's sake. You may or may not burn on a stake, but we should certainly be so dedicated as to leave no question that if asked to give our life on the altar of sacrifice, we would be yielded as Isaac was to Abraham when he ascended to the mount and laid his life down in faith. Likewise, we should be willing to lay down our lives if our Heavenly Father asks us to be a living sacrifice. Which brings me to my final point for today. Those who are addicted to the ministry of the saints, man, y'all are great. We are great living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, you know the verse, I beseech you therefore, brethren, meaning you have to make the decision yourself. I can't do it for you. Just like Paul wouldn't make Apollos go to Corinth, he's not going to make you lay your life down. But he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You won't have to worry about burning at the stake and what you'll do if you never give your life daily to the Lord in devotion. If you don't get addicted to the ministry, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, sacrifice comes in different ways. We can sacrifice our time, and I know many in this room do. We can sacrifice the talent, and many of you guys do. And we can sacrifice the treasure. And man, thank you guys for that as well. I kind of lament the fact that we don't pass the plate anymore because of COVID and all of that and pray over the offering because there's something special about just giving back to the Lord. Whether it's your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever it is when you offer it to the Lord, that's beautiful. And it's a living sacrifice. It's holy, it's acceptable to God, and it's reasonable. Maybe some of you young Christians, you're getting into this crazy church and this preacher talking about being addicted to the ministry and I know, I've been there, bought the t-shirt, and your family members say, now, now Brian, mom, if you're watching, I, uh, forgive me, but this is true. The family members are like, Brian, don't get too crazy with that stuff. It's good that you're saved, but don't be a fanatic. Hey, listen, I was a, I was a Chiefs fanatic. I've been a fanatic about a lot of things. But there ain't nothing worth being fanatical about more than Jesus Christ. Let's be addicts. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be addicted to the ministry. May we be living sacrifices. May we be good shepherds, good soldiers. Oh, Lord, may we be good sacrifices for your kingdom, for your honor, for your glory. Thank you for your saints. Lord, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir this morning, and uh, it's just a, it's an incredible privilege to be able to, to shepherd uh, a, a church like this. I thank you for their maturity. I thank you for their love for you, their love for others. I thank you, Lord, for the fruit that will be in eternity. I thank you for the angels rejoicing as people make professions of Christ. Lord, I look forward next week when the baptism waters are splashing because people have gotten saved and have followed you in faith. Lord, I thank you so much for the goodness of God. I thank you for the little things and, Lord, for the big things. There's so much to be thankful for. We praise you this morning, and I pray, God, that if there's anyone here in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them. With heads bowed and everyone standing around, I just want to ask right now, is there someone that would say, Brian, I need to be saved today. I don't have this love. I don't have any power over myself, my addictions. I am I'm in bondage, and I know it, and I want to be free. I want Jesus Christ to, to, to be my Lord and Savior. I, I want to give my heart to him. Is there anybody prepared for that? If you've never done that, or maybe you've never had someone take the Bible and show you in the Bible how you can really have assurance of God's forgiveness, of his grace, of his love, and, his, and salvation. Anyone say, Brian, I want that. I'm going to take you up on that.
anyone in this room, maybe you're watching online. I know we get people watching from all over the place. Hey, you can get us at contact at hbfcast.org. You can email us. You can call us. Uh, uh, you can even make comments on social media. We will get back with you if you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How about you all, saints? You guys got to be weary. Got a lot of things been going on, a lot of things. I hope you're encouraged and refreshed this morning. Is there anybody who would say, Brian, I just need some prayer? Amen. Well, we're going to pray in just a moment. Maybe someone here needs to make a decision. Maybe you need to make a decision to get baptized. We're doing baptisms next week. Maybe you need to make a decision to get discipled. Maybe you need to make a decision to join this church. Hey, I'm not asking you to go out and burn on a stake. I'm just asking you to make the next right step. What is it that the Lord is calling you to do today? The next right step, the thing that God is asking you to do, do that. What is it keeping you from standing in faith? What's keeping you from being like the house of Stephanus? What's keeping you from maturing in the Lord and following Jesus with reckless abandon? Would you let go of that today? Maybe, you, maybe God's calling someone to be a missionary or a pastor. You need to settle that thing. You need to come forward. You need to lay it down. I don't have music. I don't have all that. But you need to reckon with the Lord and get that stuff settled in your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that are making decisions even now. I thank you for those that, that express needs. Lord, we have needs. And I saw the hands, but I didn't see the hearts. And you see the heart. I pray, God, that you would minister grace to the hearts of your people. Any day, any given Sunday like we have this morning, there are people with hurts that need healing. There are people that, that need help. There are, I know there's furniture, or there's, there's furnaces that need to be replaced, Lord. There's family that is in, in, uh, in great uh, distress right now. And, Lord, we're sensitive to that. There's people in the hospital. Think of Dorothy Thompson. Lord, there's people... Uh, just all kinds of things in our body that, that we need to be vigilant and praying about and watching over. And Lord, at times it can be overwhelming. I pray, God, that you would just give your peace, your perfect peace to those that are in distress. And Lord, turn that into devotion for you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would meet every need of the heart, of the mind, of the soul, of the body. Lord, I thank you for your church. I pray a blessing on it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.